Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. On that note, thank you to Jeff Henderson who donated to the podcast this past week. Don't forget, I have several other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, Pucks and Cups, Canada's Great War and Coast to Coast available on all podcast platforms. I do all these podcasts full-time, so every dollar you give helps keep it all going, and I truly do appreciate it. I'll thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram and TikTok where I put up daily history videos, and my username is bairdo37. You can also find weekly videos about Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash Canadian History X. And if you like, you can find all the transcripts of every episode I've ever done on my website. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And also, Michael, I tried to email you back, but my emails are bouncing back now. So we'll have to figure out another way to uh, be able to communicate. Born in Value View, Alberta on March 15, 1969 as Rona Lee Chapchuk to Colleen and James Chapchuk, Rona Ambrose would grow up in both Parkland County, Alberta and Brazil as well as some places in Europe. Due to her time in Brazil, she would learn to speak both Portuguese and Spanish and she would spend the first several years of her life, about 14 years in total, away from Canada as her father worked for an oil exploration company. As a child, Ambrose enjoyed climbing up door frames and finding her way onto the roof of the house. Ambrose would say of her mother, quote, She just went crazy because I would get up on top of things and I just had no fear and I could barely walk. End quote. Ambrose would earn a Bachelor of Arts in Women's and Gender Studies at the University of Victoria and a Master of Arts degree in Political Science from the University of Alberta. Ambrose would spend a lot of her adult life prior to becoming a Member of Parliament helping organizations that focused on ending violence against women. She would work with the Status of Women Action Group, the Victoria Sexual Assault and Sexual Abuse Crisis Centre, and the Edmonton Women's Shelter. In 1994, she would marry Bruce Ambrose. Ten years later, she would decide the time was right to run for Parliament. In order to get to Parliament, she would first have to win the nomination in her riding of Edmonton's Bruce Grove. And I'd also like to add a bit of connection for me, she was my MP for quite some time. It would take four rounds of voting before Ambrose emerged as the winner. She would say, quote, I bring some youth and I bring some fresh ideas on some of the emerging issues that I think we need to move on as a conservative party, end quote. She would say of getting the nomination to run before the election, quote, I was against seven men in the heart of conservative country, so to have a young woman win was unusual, end quote. Her win was even more impressive considering she defeated a former Alberta deputy minister, the former president of the St. Albert Alliance Constituency Association, and the former mayor of Spruce Grove. On why she decided to run, Ambrose would say in May 2004, quote, At the most visceral gut level, I'm really, really passionate about the country. It is really just a passion to make a change, end quote. Knowing the toll that politics can put on a marriage, the couple would work to find a balance even before the election result was known. Her husband, Bruce, would say, quote, We made a deal going into this that we will work at keeping a balance in our lives. We will have to work at balance to make sure our marriage failing is not an option, end quote. In 2004, Ambrose would be elected to the House of Commons in the riding of Edmonton Spruce Grove. In her win, she would praise her competition, stating NDP candidate Haley Phillips was an articulate young woman, and the liberal Neil Mather still had time on his side. 
Upon moving into her Parliament Hill office, one notable feature was a large picture of her Dalmatian, Haida. A friend of Ambrose knew that she would miss her dog while in Ottawa, so she got the picture. Haida had been a dog Ambrose and her husband had picked up to celebrate their marriage a decade previous. As a backbencher, Ambrose would quickly begin to stand out in the party, and she would be the key architect of the party's position on childcare, which involved direct payments to parents with young kids instead of supporting regulated daycare. Her work in this would cause Ambrose to gain criticism from the other parties, especially the Liberals. As part of this, Ambrose made news across Canada when she told Liberal Social Development Minister Ken Dryden, quote, Working women want to make their own choices. We don't need white guys telling us what to do. End quote. Speaking of her first year in Parliament, she would say in 2015, quote, I was a brand new politician, and let me tell you, I was really good at policy, but I wasn't very good at politics in my first year. I learned very quickly, a tough lesson, but I am better for it. I never took any of it personally. I'm glad I went through it, to be honest. End quote. After the Conservatives under Stephen Harper won the 2006 federal election, an election in which Ambrose won 66% of the vote in her riding, she would be promoted to Minister of the Environment, only 19 months after she joined Parliament. Ambrose would state, quote, I'm thrilled, I really am. It's something I've always been passionate for. I think it will be a real challenge. When I think of the environment as an issue, it is a portfolio that is very forward-thinking, so I think it's a good fit for me, End quote. At the time, she was the youngest woman ever appointed to a cabinet position in Canadian history at the age of only 37. Meeting the Kyoto Protocol would be the main task for Ambrose early in her post as cabinet minister. When asked if Canada would keep its commitment, she would respond, quote, The question isn't Kyoto. It is climate change and clean air and clean water. End quote. She would add in another interview, quote, Our government is committed to addressing climate change in a way that will promote real progress. End quote. Two months after her appointment, she would announce on April 7, 2006, that Canada would not meet its Kyoto Protocol goals. She would state, quote, my department officials and the department officials from natural resources have indicated that it is impossible, impossible for Canada to reach its Kyoto target. And let me be clear, I've been engaging with our international counterparts over the past month, and we are not the only country that is finding itself in this situation. End quote. One week later, on April 13th, Ambrose stopped Mark Tushingham, an Environment Canada scientist, from speaking at the launch of his science fiction book novel, Hotter Than Hell. The book was set in a dystopian future caused by climate change. The publisher and environmentalist stated that the book was not in line with the government's view on climate change, hence the decision by Ambrose, but she would state that as an Environment Canada scientist, he was speaking in an official capacity, and that was out of process. In June 2006, the NDP and Bloc Quebecois put forward a motion in the House of Commons Environmental Committee calling for her resignation over their discontent with her actions as Environment Minister. This was blocked by the Conservatives with help from the Liberals, as it would have been a confidence motion that would have triggered an election. An NDP strategist would state, quote, The Liberals are working awfully hard to save Rona Ambrose. End quote. Liberal environment critic John Godfrey would state, quote, We would rather leave Miss Ambrose in place because she represents the total incompetence of the government. We would rather let the fruit ripen, if I may put it that way. End quote. In reality, because Prime Minister Harper made it a confidence motion, the Liberals didn't want to trigger an election and therefore voted against removing Ambrose from her position. On October 19, 2006, Ambrose introduced the Clean Air Act to govern greenhouse gas emissions beginning in 2020, cutting them to 50% of 2003 levels by 2050. She would also introduce regulations on industries and vehicles. Ambrose would say, quote, What Canada's Clean Air Act will do is it will enhance our powers to do things we can't do right now, 
like regulate indoor air pollution and regulate biofuels so that we can burn cleaner, greener fuels and give opportunities for farmers. End quote. A few weeks later, Ambrose stated to a parliamentary committee that Canada had paid its debts under the Kyoto Protocol, but this was contradicted by an Environment Canada official who stated the bill was still unpaid. On January 4, 2007, Ambrose was moved from the Environment Portfolio to become Minister of Western Economic Diversification, the Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, and the President of the Queen's Privy Council for Canada. On January 19, 2010, Ambrose would then be moved to the Minister of Public Works and Government Services. As minister, she would introduce a major project to improve on how government administrated its pay and pension systems. This would become known as the Phoenix Pay System. On April 9, 2010, Ambrose was then named the minister responsible for the status of women. As minister, Ambrose would sponsor an International Day of the Girl-Child proposal, which would be passed by the United Nations General Assembly on December 19, 2011. That same year, she and her husband Bruce would divorce. On September 26, 2012, Ambrose would vote in favour of Motion 312, which was a conservative motion which would direct a Commons committee to revisit the criminal code and its definition of when a human life begins. Many saw this motion as an attempt to reopen the debate on abortion laws. Canadian pro-choice groups and the opposition parties would call for Ambrose's resignation over the matter. In the end, the motion would be defeated 203-91. to An online petition would also call for her to be removed from her cabinet position over her support of the motion. Ambrose would state, quote, I repeatedly raise concerns about discrimination of girls by sex selection. No law needed, but we need awareness. End quote. In July 2013, Ambrose was appointed as the Minister of Health. As minister, she would work with Nadia Murad, a Yazidi refugee, in pushing the House of Commons to label the persecution of the Yazidi people a genocide. She would also help get 1,000 Yazidi women and girls who had been enslaved by ISIS brought to Canada. Ambrose would say, quote, we're not going to give up on this, and we're just going to keep at it until we get the result, and we got the result. End quote. In 2015, she would marry J.P. Veitch, a former rodeo bull rider and a private investment banker. Speaking of which he would prefer, politics or bull riding, he would say, quote, Getting on a bull is easier. I'm more comfortable there. Who heckles a bull rider? End quote. He would add that he had a deep admiration for his wife for the work she did. After the 2015 election, when the Liberals returned to power, Stephen Harper resigned as leader of the Conservatives. On November 5, 2015, Ambrose became the interim leader of the Conservative Party. Upon her selection, she would state, quote, I'm excited that we are going to be moving forward with a strong opposition with confidence and optimism. I'm extremely proud to be the new leader of the opposition. End quote. One issue for some over Ambrose becoming the new leader of the opposition was the fact that she spoke little French. Uh, I am extremely proud uh, to be the new leader of the opposition. And now I'm going to hand it over to uh, Monsieur Blaney. The first thing that we will do, la première fois, c'est organiser notre groupe, notre équipe. Nous avons une équipe très forte, particulièrement au Québec. Uh, nous avons 12 uh, députés très forts au Québec qui sont été élus uh, dans l'élection. And we are going to have the strongest opposition party that Canadians have ever seen. I have no doubt about that. As leader, she became the third female leader of the opposition. She was also the third leader of a major centre-right party after Kim Campbell and Deborah Gray. 
Ambrose would state of her new role as interim leader, quote, Canadians are very receptive and ready for women's leadership because we see it all across the country, but I was really humbled that my caucus felt the same way, end quote. Ambrose would move into the official residence of the opposition leader, and she would say of her new home, quote, This is a beautiful kitchen, but I have absolutely no time to cook. This will probably be where I will have cereal and fruit, and that's about it, end quote. She would say of her new role as a leader of the opposition, quote, The opposition has an incredibly important role to play, and the government has an equally important role to play. If we do both jobs well, we have a functioning democracy, end quote. Throughout her parliamentary career, Ambrose was often named the most civil parliamentarian. When she took over as leader of the opposition, she would often shush her fellow conservative MPs when they began to shout at the prime minister while he was speaking. She would say, quote, I have a great deal of respect for the office of the prime minister, and so, when he gets up to speak, I think that everyone owes him the respect to listen. We have very strong agendas and that's great. That is what Parliament is about. But there is no need for anyone to be heckling each other. End quote. In 2016, McLean's named her the hardest working parliamentarian. Ambrose would say of her work schedule, quote, It's all-encompassing. When you think about the tempo and the work schedule, it's massive, but I love it. I love this role in particular because it is so people-based. I find I feel in this role fearless. There's no issue too small or too big to take on. End quote. Throughout her time in Parliament, Ambrose was known for being an avid lover of the outdoors. She hiked, skied, rode horses, and even climbed mountains, including Mount Kilimanjaro. She even earned a certification to skip her sailboats. She would say, quote, I like to be very active. It's a great contrast from the work that I do. End quote. In February 2017, Ambrose would introduce Bill C-337, which, if passed, would have required judges in Canada to undergo training on sexual assault law, which involved education on sexual assault myths, stereotypes of victims, and the impact of trauma on memory. This was passed unanimously by the House of Commons, but it would expire in the Senate due to the October 2019 federal election. This is a government bill, but it owes its existence to Ronna Ambrose, the former member of Parliament for Sturgeon River Parkland and the former leader of the official opposition. I spoke to uh, Ms. Ambrose last evening, and she was absolutely delighted with the passage of this bill. But like the rest of us, she recognizes the work that needs to be done moving forward. Ms. Ambrose's private member's bill, C-337, was the foundation for this legislation. The simple truth is that her bill should have passed two years ago. We committed to ensuring that it would as government legislation. Rana's ongoing support and collaboration were important to getting this bill through the parliamentary process. And I want to thank her personally for her commitment to her, uh, for her commitment to this issue and to this, this legislation. In May 2017, Ambrose announced that she would be retired from the House of Commons after a new leader of the Conservative Party was chosen. I hope you'll indulge me share with you, sharing with you some personal news. I think it's the first time in Ottawa that the media actually found out last, probably the worst kept secret. But in, in addition to serving as leader of the opposition, obviously I have another job as a member of parliament. And I've had such an incredible pleasure serving the people of Edmonton's First Grove and of course most recently the people of Sturgeon River Parkland. It's been amazing. Anyone who's in the room that's an MP knows what a privilege it is to get to serve the people that vote for you. But as my time comes to an end, I think it's important to look forward. So I am, as you know, going to be leaving uh, my, resigning my seat as Member of Parliament after the House rises in the summer um, and to seek a new chapter in my life. And I'm, JP and I are both very, very excited, but very, very grateful. Um, it's truly been one of the greatest honours of my life to serve in the House of Commons, and I can't imagine years ago thinking that this would have happened. In her letter to the Speaker, she would say that it was a privilege to serve, 
and she hoped that she inspired other women and girls to aspire to public office. She would add, quote, You are equal, you are worthy, and you can do it, end quote. I mean, I remember having guys that I work with that were my colleagues say to me, well, the only reason that you've been appointed to cabinet is because you're a woman. And I would say, well, <laughs> so not that I had a master's degree and I had a lot of experience, spoke three languages, you know, that justified their own narrative to themselves, which was that's why I didn't get it. It's only because she's a woman. I mean, politics is probably, you know, one of the worst old boys clubs, right? And there's not a lot of light shed other than how you're treated in public because there's massive public scrutiny. But being, being a woman in politics, that is another layer of, of sexism that you have to deal with, is actually the public and the press and social media, which is, it can be extremely sexist. But then on top of that, you're working in an organization, organizations that are highly, highly competitive, not necessarily based on rent, and with a lot of preconceived ideas about what a leader should look like. It wasn't until very recently that we have more women in leading positions in politics, and I was one of them as the leader of the opposition that was actually voted in by my caucus to lead them. And that was pretty unusual for Parliament. You know, even the fact that even in a gender parity cabinet that we have today, we still don't see women in what people consider to be sort of the strong roles, like defense and finance. You know, they've always been the purview of men. And I think that those kinds of barriers are important to show that women can do any of those jobs because they can. There's no doubt in my mind. So you have to be really careful when you talk about these kinds of issues because women do want to be, women want to compete and they want to know that they're in a position because they've earned it and they've worked hard because these are very, very intelligent, accomplished women that are sitting in parliament and all parties. But it's, there's no doubt. I don't care what party it is, I have seen women be treated with a great deal of sexism. So we've got a long way to go in the world of politics. After she left federal politics, Ambrose joined the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, which was a Washington, D.C.-based think tank. In August 2017, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau appointed her as a member of the NAFTA Advisory Council. And in 2018, Ambrose, along with Lorreen Harper, launched the She Leads Foundation. This organization, based in Alberta, encourages women to run for office and participate in public life. I hope you enjoyed that episode, my look at Rona Ambrose. Next week, we're looking at Andrew Scheer. And we would have been finishing in just a couple weeks, but now that Aaron O'Toole is no longer the leader of the Conservative Party, we have one more episode after that to talk about the new leader of the Conservative Party. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, 
Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke Guess, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from McLean's Edmonton Journal, Wikipedia, Calgary Herald, National Post, The Windsor Star, and The Victoria Times Colonist. Thanks. I'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.